0: Welcome to We the Women. This is our celebration of the 19th Amendment. Exactly 100 years ago, on August 18th, 1920, the 19th Amendment was ratified, giving women the right to vote. To celebrate, we'll be talking to women from around South Carolina, thought leaders, movers and shakers. We'll ask them about how they have used their voice and what they have done to contribute to our great democracy. Enjoy the conversation. In this episode, Post and Courier City reporter, Michaela Porter, interviews Ginny Deren, major gifts officer for the
1: International African American Museum. Thank you for joining. You're welcome, you're welcome. Uh, Happy to have you here. Um, Thank you. Wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, your background and uh, your experiences. You've done a lot of work um, to raise women's voices, um, starting with uh, the group that you started way back when, mm-hmm. um, can you talk about Wings for Girls now, Wings for Kids? Sure.
0: Um, so 1995, 96, I founded Wings for Girls, which is where we started. Um, and then a couple years later, when we went into the public school system, we, um, we brought boys into the program. So it was just Wings for Kids. But for the first couple of years, we were a summer camp out at James Island County Park. Because we were developing um, in a new field, which, was, which is called social and emotional learning. But 20 years ago, people really didn't know what that meant. Now it's very popular. Schools, All schools want it. They know they need it. They know that kids who have a good, strong social and emotional education do better in school. They do better out of school. So, um, but at the time, it was very new. And we wanted to create the program in a laboratory where we could really experiment and control and measure from early on. We had the folks at USC and the folks up at Yale do research on our program. So we were very serious about it. Um, But since it was a spend the night camp, we had to pick a gender. So we picked girls. And uh, so it had very much of a girl power thing going on um, in the early years. And that was kind of fun. And then we moved into Wings for Kids. And now it is all over the country. And actually with the pandemic, we've partnered with Discovery Education, which is a huge um, online provider. And they picked us as the provider. So we've been downloaded by hundreds of thousands of teachers and students across the country who are now getting a good getting their wings so it's really been terrific what's the age range it's really designed for elementary school age kids Um, and I really most people thought I was a psychologist or an educator and I was neither I really founded wings because I got to a place in my life where even though most people would have described me as successful and um, I just felt that there was a whole set of um, things that I hadn't really learned that kept me from really living my full potential. And so I got very focused on, on how to, how to get my, myself there. And I knew that I wasn't alone and so that's really the impetus of what's what got me to, to create it. And I think the fact that I wasn't an educator or a psychologist helped us create something that's really fresh and fun. It doesn't feel like you're going to the guidance counselor, nothing against guidance counselors, but mm-hmm. it's it's for everybody. I mean, social emotional skills are for everybody, and it really taps into the whole subject of sort of the 19th Amendment and women voting and empowering women, because so much of it starts with what is inside of us and what's kind of been baked into girls and women. And it's getting a lot better. But um, until women and girls can kind of, as Jeanetta Cole, who was very instrumental in in, um, the beginning of Wings, said... You know, if we don't open the birdcage, we're not going to fly out of the birdcage. So, yes, society helps girls and women kind of hold back. Certainly not being able to vote was a real strong message for, what, 144 years before the 19th Amendment passed. Um, So society helps. But until we as individuals kind of find that within ourselves, um, I don't think an amendment does it? I think it really comes from from within ourselves and also changing society and the culture.
1: So your goal with Wings for Girls, Wings for Kids mm-hmm. was about empowerment?
0: Yeah, a big part of it. I mean, I f- then learned that it really is called social-emotional skills and it has to do with relationship skills. And but But the foundation of it, of social-emotional learning, is self-awareness. That's like the foundation is to really be aware of yourself, what you like, what you don't like, what your strengths are, what your challenges are. And so that has a lot to do with being empowered.
1: And the societal perceptions of.
0: Yeah, yes, and how important it is, particularly for adults, because a lot of our work is teaching teachers, teaching parents um, how to really change the culture, whether it's in your household or your office, or in your child's school, or whatever. So um, it really is something that if, if people and if cultures are socially, emotionally smart and intelligent, you will find that they have a very diverse group of people around tables because that's how you really um, be as good as you can be as, as a group or as a person.
1: When you started Wings for Girls, um, later Wings for Kids, what was the, like, how was it received in the community?
0: Um, Well, uh, the very early stages, um, it was, nobody really knew what it was, and it was sort of like, well, that's supposed to be taught at home. Well, you know, nobody taught our parents social and emotional skills, so I had some but I was missing, I wasn't particularly empathetic because I'm one of five and I just thought everybody goes along. So we, we all have some, but it's, it, it, in the early years, people were like, well, isn't that something you just learn at home? And it's not. It's something that can be intentionally taught, just like reading and writing. So at first it was new and not taken very seriously. And then when we had such great success in terms of evaluation, in terms of the impact on children's lives and also the impact on their family lives, um, that's when the school district, the Charleston County School District, came to us and said, will you come into our schools and do the program in our schools? And so that then it became more and more uh, respected and taken seriously. And of course now, there are very few educators around, maybe none, that don't really highly value social-emotional education, and they know that it's something that needs to be taught in the classrooms and at home.
1: How many children or families have gone through your program, you think?
0: Oh, uh, well, now, especially that it's being delivered online, hundreds and thousands of kids from across the country. um, We do provide direct programs that almost serve as our laboratories to develop the curriculum. Um, and so we do serve, uh, before the pandemic, um, we would serve every day after school several thousand kids. Um, but it's spread far and wide.
1: How does it feel, like looking back on, you know, that beginning 20-something years ago now, mm-hmm. to, to what it is now?
0: Well, it's certainly my proudest accomplishment of my professional life. Um, it feels really good in a lot of ways. Um, one, to, to have taken the risk and um, to have kind of found the guts to kind of get out there and uh, do something that was new. Um, So I'm really proud of it. Um, And the person who I handed the baton to, uh, Bridget Laird has now been there since I left and um, she's just doing an amazing job and it was her first job out of college. And so I am a very proud mother
1: Um, Well, you just had said, you you know, she started this right out of of college, but your start right out of college um, was pretty cool as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So my first job out of college, aside from waitressing, um, was uh, my friend, my one of my best friends was elected the first woman to be the president of the student body at the University of South Carolina. And there was a guy whose name was Pug Ravenel who was running for governor and he was a young guy. So he, of course, came to the University of South Carolina to try to get my friend Rita to introduce him and open some doors so he could talk to students. And I, she, had, she could hire one person, so she hired me as her secretary. So it was me and my friend Rita, who was president of the student body. So we got involved in his campaign, and we were the first two people who he hired on his campaign staff. I had never given a thought to being involved in politics. Never but I just stumbled into it. And his race was a real game changer. Um, He won the Democratic nomination, which at that time, if you won the Democratic nomination, you won the race for governor because there hadn't been a Republican since Reconstruction. And so it was really exciting. And then he was disqualified by the Supreme Court, the South Carolina Supreme Court. So another person won. So lots of lessons learned. and, And it Got me to understand how powerful and important it is to get involved in uh, politics or other endeavors. Whether it's a, because a lot of people would say to me early on, because the tagline for Wings is teaching kids to love joyfully, powerfully, and responsibly and people will say you know everybody doesn't need to be a ceo and, I, and the point is no you don't the point is 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 to be self aware about, about what you want and then have the courage to go for it and that could be being a stay-at-home mom could be being the head of a pta or whatever so um it was really important to get the lesson early on that getting involved and paying attention um in particularly in politics for me was a way to to contribute I guess. The Intertech Group and the Zucker family are proud to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment.
1: And uh that wasn't your only uh dabble I guess in politics. Yeah. You ran for for two offices as well.
0: Yeah. So I I I was in I kept my hands in in uh politics. I was involved in um, all of Mayor Riley's campaigns from the first one, and I actually uh, ran his last campaign, so I was very involved. But um, I I didn't run for office until I ran for Secretary of State, and that was really born from um, an organization that um, my friend Nikki Hardin and I founded called Project Double X, and that was all about um, encouraging women to run for office and to seek appointments, political appointments, to boards and commissions and that kind of thing. And it was a statewide organization, and um, it was really important. And at some point, um, Nikki and I decided, you know, and I don't know why it was me, but anyway, you should run for office and kind of walk the talk. Um, I ran statewide office. I wasn't expecting to win because I'm a Democrat and— it's really hard to win a statewide race unless you're going to raise a ton of money. And honestly, part of my platform was to do away with the Secretary of State's office because it's just sort of a paper pusher position in in our state. So, but it gave me a platform to travel around the state, encourage women to run. You know, even if if you're if you think you might not win, run because you can't get elected if you don't run. And we need more women at the table. So, that's what prompted that. And that led to me running for mayor of the city of Charleston when Joe Riley ended his, his tenure because in that race for secretary of state, I did really well in Charleston County. And so people encouraged me to run for mayor. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, yeah, that would be a really great position for me. I think I could do a great job. I have a long history with the city, had been involved in so many different things. So in that race, I got in it to win and I worked really hard at it. I obviously didn't win, but um, uh, I came in in the top three and my my candidacy ended up having um, a big impact on the race, I think. And so I look back on it and I'm really glad that I won, and honestly, these days with the flooding and the pandemic and the money and the economy, um, there are many, many, many nights that I think to myself, "Wow, that was lucky that I didn't win."
1: What was uh, so good for
0: John Mayor Tecklenburg for um, for his leadership? Because this is really a tough time to be a leader, and he's doing a great job.
1: Oh, um, what was it like? You know, you ran someone else's campaign, mm-hmm. so you were. Helping, coordinating, you know, everything, all the little things that people don't notice when someone gets up to speak or does interviews or right. um, all the background, all of the uh, research, gathering people, sending them out, mailers and such. How how did that help with you running your own campaign um, for secretary of state mm-hmm. and then uh, for mayor? Like what can you talk a little bit about those differences.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was a, a huge leg up. Um In a lot of ways, um, you just know what needs to be done. Um, So you don't have that period of kind of learning the ropes when you become a candidate. Um, I'd done a lot of fundraising, and fundraising is a huge part of my background, whether I'm raising money for a nonprofit or political candidate. So that's huge because, honestly, probably 75% of the time... In my campaign, and I bet in the other my my uh, um, my colleagues who were running was on fundraising. So knowing how to do that and that you just have to have the discipline to do it was huge. Um, so for the mayor's race, which was a very serious race and a very expensive race, I raised almost a million dollars. In the most you can get is thousand dollars, so you know that's a lot of contributions that you have to raise. Um, it was it was really a tough race and took a lot, a lot. And my background and experience in campaigns definitely was a positive. And I guess the last thing I'd mentioned is I'd been around so many campaigns and had been involved in hiring so many campaign managers that I knew that one of the most important things is for a candidate to hire a campaign manager and then let them do their job and follow their direction. And so that all adds up to it was a really um, a good thing, which, which is to say that if people are thinking about running for office, it's really great in a lot of ways, but particularly if you're thinking about running for office, is to work on other campaigns as a volunteer or as a staff person because it's just good background.
1: As you encourage women um, to consider running for either like local boards or mm-hmm. or um, you know bigger bigger job offices type of thing, um, what are some that would be a big part of the advice that you would give to
0: them? Or? Yeah, and you know it's inter- it's interesting to me that um, when I've I've recruited and tried to talk many people over many years, women and men, into running for office. School board, other races, and it's really interesting and a, and a, I think, uh, proof of how baked in it is, to the DNA of girls and women, that, you know what. Your place is in the kitchen. You're not men lead, women are supporters. You be behind, you know, stand by your man, women behind the man. It's so baked into us that when I would go time after time and I would say, oh, would you consider running for office? Every single woman I would say that to, their response was, me? I'm not qualified for that. Every single guy that I had that conversation with, their response is, yeah, I could do that. It, it, so a huge hurdle, and what advice I would give to women is, st- uh, stop doing that. Of course you have what it takes. Yeah, is, are there things to learn? Yeah. Are there things for guys to learn? Yeah. But don't do that to yourself. You're, and, and it's really baked into women. It's, it's changing. And that's why I'm super optimistic. I think in 50 years it will have changed enough that it's just not an issue anymore but it's still an issue i mean i have a daughter who's 30 she's a wings girl she was she grew up on wings so she's she's very she's very self-aware but i can see it even in her it's very baked in in our culture and so my advice to women is you know just step forward we're all given gifts And who are you not to use yours? That was one of the things, it was from Nelson Mandela's inaugural address that pushed me to to create wings and really step out on it, is the part of his address where he said, we're all given gifts. Who are you not to use yours? And women really need to remember that. I mean, we've got tons of gifts. And we should use them. And no, we don't all have to be CEOs. We don't have to run for mayor. But in whatever way you want to lead... Or step forward on something that you want to do, do it.
1: Were there times um, in the two cam- in your own personal campaigns that you ran um, for office that things you were treated differently, or you felt you were treated differently because you're a woman? Sure.
0: Yeah. Um, in my race for. In both races that I ran, um, I don't think it's, I can't really recall any really outward things. But I, I really felt that there was still, as I spoke with women, um, there's still this sort of nagging sense that I really like you, I think you'd be good, but... They they envision the the leader to be a guy, and so it's it's almost a, it's a very kind of subtle thing. But we can all read polls and all sorts of research, and it's it's there. Women are like women still. A lot of women are inclined to vote for men because again, it's kind of back to that DNA. That's the picture they've always seen. It's changing, but. I think it's it's always a part of a race, but it's becoming less and less and less of a part of the race. Um, and that's a good thing because women, women can't win if they don't run and they can't win if women um, who are voting can get control over whatever prejudices they have that kind of hold them back from supporting women. But I think that's changing. I think it's changing dramatically. And, and as women run for office, um, I think people observe that they're doing a great job. I mean, you, you look around, you look in, in Congress, you look at the people who are actually getting stuff done and coming together, you know, you read all these stories about women who kind of get together across the aisle, they go have lunch, they figure it out, they talk about the issue, they come back, they're really getting stuff done. So I think the more that that is, is observed, the more this sort of prejudice will go away.
1: What's your hope for, uh, you, live, you live in Charleston, so what's your hope for, uh, for women in Charleston um, in the next you know, 10, 15, 20 years?
0: As it relates to
1: quality of life, um, politics.
0: Well, um, I think for my hope and wish for women in Charleston over the next decade or two is that we all um, we all put forward in whatever ways we can the gifts that we have that we think will help make our community stronger, better um, place for us all to live.
1: Um, One of the projects that you're working on now, the International African American Museum, um, how how did you get involved in that?
0: Well, I have, um, as I said earlier, I've worked with Joe Riley Um, for many, many years. And he um, put forth a vision for the International African American Museum about 20 years ago. And um, he would always look to me to help with fundraising. And of course, fundraising has been a big part of the International African American Museum. So I've actually had my fingers in it a little bit for 20-plus years just because I'd be brought in from time to time just as a volunteer. And then about five years ago, when it, was, it looked like the momentum was building for it, um, I actually came professionally on board to help them uh, raise money. So um, now I am a full-time staff person there and um, really proud to be a part of um, making it happen.
1: We the Women is brought to you
0: by the Charleston County Democratic Party, encouraging all Democrats in South Carolina to visit us at VoteBlueSC.com, where you can register to vote or request your absentee ballot for November. That web address, again, is VoteBlueSC.com.
1: How has the process been, you know, uh, 20, 20-something years?
0: Yeah, you know... um, I think early on, the community was looked at Mayor Riley with, like, why? I don't really get it. And it was slow. You know, fortunately, he has enormous leadership and perseverance. So I think over this 20 years, it's been a very slow process of getting the community, the local community, the state and then outside of the state to understand why it's so important to create this institution um, where the history actually happened. Um, And so it's been a slow buildup, but over the last four years, it's two years ago, it became clear this is actually happening. And now, of course, the building, they just put the final steel beam on the top of the building. So um, it is definitely happening. We still have a lot of work to do. We still have a lot of money to raise. But most of the work has been done and uh, it will be open in early 2022.
1: How was that? Uh, were you at the ceremony? The, the, what is it, the topping off? Mm-hmm, I was. What was that feeling or what was, you know, put us there with you? Well, the there there
0: really were two events. One was the groundbreaking event, which was um uh several months earlier, and that was really an an extremely powerful event because there were so many people who wanted to be there um people who'd been working on it for twenty years and new friends donors, volunteers, community activists. There were so many people, we could not possibly accommodate them all. And I think there were 850 people jammed into that, um, into the site where it's being built. And another tens of thousands who were tuned in um, to the live feed. And Congressman Clyburn was there and uh, Mayor Riley spoke. And you could just, it was just palpable how important it was for people to actually see that Charleston was creating this institution for the entire country. Because it's not, it's not that normal for a small a city our size to create something for the entire country. And this is for the entire country. And people were just black people, white people, brown people, kids, old young. The, you look down on this sea of people and the their kind of hopes and dreams for something that, honestly, I think many of them thought this was just a pipe dream, were so proud of it and so happy that it was going to happen. And so that was really um, a powerful event. And then just a few weeks ago to see the top beam going up and there was this huge flag for the museum and you looked out beam was going up and the, the big flag for the museum was hanging from the beam and at one point it turns and, and you see the harbor um, behind it and you literally see the pathway of the harbor out, you know, you just felt like you were looking at Africa, you, know, you, were, you were looking at where it all started and kind of experiencing in your own mind and, and emotions what that must have been like for... Um, these enslaved Africans to be brought through the port of Charleston and take their first steps, many of them on the site where the museum is being built. It was It's an extremely um, emotional and powerful experience. And I think a big part of the experience will be, you know, it's a little bit to me like Gettysburg. You know, when you go there, you, it's so powerful when you're on the land and then you go to the museum and you're learning and you take in the stories that you're learning and the combination of the emotional experience of being on the ground and the amazing exhibits that we'll have in the museum, it's just gonna be life-changing, I think, for lots of people.
1: Well, one of my last questions for you is, we're reflecting on 100 years from women's first right to, or, you know, from women's right to vote. Mm -hmm. How do you feel things
0: have gone for women in the last 100 years. Well, honestly, um, I'm usually sort of an upbeat person, always ready for any type of a celebration, but I am having a little uh, trouble celebrating this 100th anniversary just because it feels like, God, it was just 100 years ago women, you know, women didn't have the right to vote. I mean, that's just crazy. And so um, I think that passing an amendment is important. But until you really have the commitment personally and as communities to change what had been baked in for 144 years of you're less than, you, don't, you shouldn't be voting because you, you're not informed enough, you should be in the kitchen, you know. In order for that to really change, it needs more than just an amendment. I mean, ask black people about the 50, you know. It, an amendment is good, but um, it, it doesn't get you anywhere near where you want to be. And so how have things gone over the last 100 years? slowly. Um, I think it's been very slow in South Carolina. I mean, just look at our institutions. Look at the boards of of our most powerful institutions. Maybe there are one or two or three women on it. On them, look at the legislature, uh, look at city council, look at county. You know, so it's slow. It's slow. So it's kind of hard to get super excited about it. But I do think that we've gotten to a tipping point. And I think... If you ask that question in twenty-five years, the answer would be a lot, a lot different. I think, I think we've just gotten to a tipping point. Women, women know know that they should be involved. They want to be involved. They're getting involved. They're doing a great job. So, um, I think that it's been slow. It's been a slow, um, slow progress over the hundred years.
1: What makes it feel like now is a is a tipping point.
0: Well, for example, now when I ask women if they would consider running for office, their, first re- they, their reaction is, well, maybe, maybe I'll think about that. I see that as progress as opposed to me. You think I... So I think that's a sign of progress. Um, I think that there are obviously more, not a lot more, but more uh, women running for office and winning. Um, and, and you look at institutions like the College of Charleston their board of trustees is almost 50% women. I think, I don't, I don't know, I, but I think that the College of Charleston must have a real commitment to diversity and equality. And yeah, the state legislature does appoint them just like USC and MUSC who have very few women. But I think if, if the college or any community really has the commitment, they will drive the change. And so the college, I think the College of Charleston is an example of that. So I just think it's there. People are there. They get it. They understand it individually and as communities. And yeah, the good old boy system is still really alive and well. But I think it's, I think they're, it's losing, losing power and sort of the power of the people is, is trumping that.
1: What is your advice for women um that are that deal with the situation like the good old boys club um because you can feel it when you're around it and and it it's a feeling. Mm-hmm. Um so what what is your advice to women that all of a sudden they're in a in this situation where they're um dealing with or confronted with uh, the good old boys club mm-hmm. and, and how to navigate through that? Mm-hmm. Well, I,
0: I my advice to women who are who come up against this kind of good old boy culture um, is to to speak up and call it out. It's a little bit like the Me Too movement. I mean, it's obviously you know that that's a whole different category, but I think the answer is similar, which is to call it out. So if you're at a meeting and you're one of one of two women sitting around a table of a dozen guys, and the guys are like, we know it all, blah, blah, blah. You you need to speak up and say, you know, I I have a lot of experience in what we're talking about, so you guys have talked most of this time. Let me talk. You know, just, just call it out. Speak up. I think that's really the answer. Um, we're, me included, have... And continue to be, you know, because you you don't want to be the B word, like, oh, oh, I don't want to be, a you know, we're we're so worried about that that we don't speak up. And so I have to force myself because it's not easy. But I would say, hey, the only way to really abolish the good old boy system is to just speak up and step forward, even if it's uncomfortable. Because the more you do it, the more it will change.
1: And the less uncomfortable
0: it gets. And the less uncomfortable it gets. And, you know, you, you don't have to be all uh, stringent and serious about it. You can be pretty funny about it, but just call it out. It's so obvious.
1: It's a, yeah, it's a feeling. You know, you know when you're wrapped in it Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think any woman would agree with that. They know when they... It's like this invisible wall right Mm -hmm. exactly
0: so so you really do know it and it's it's calling it out you know it's like that that sunlight thing it's like that's really the best way to take care of it is to call it out and um that way it will change and you know it isn't it's it's about having women at the table um particularly when it makes sense to have women at the table You know, honestly, the idea that MUSC's board has a couple of women out, I think their board's, I don't know, close to 20 people. Well, women make most of the healthcare decisions. Women, you know, you go through, why would that be? Obviously, you need more women at the table. But, you know, when you have a legislature who's pretty much all guys and they're all doing the appointments and you're appointing your buddies and blah, 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 that's how you end up with that. I don't think probably anybody sitting around that board table, if they really thought about it, thinks that's a good idea, but that's the outcome, unless women really start speaking up.
1: Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Have you ever had to wait three days for someone to service your copier? Does your office furniture belong in a museum? Are your meetings being disrupted by poorly installed and overly complicated conferencing and AV equipment? The Office People is proud to be the largest local provider of office technology, conferencing systems, audio-visual equipment, and office interiors in the Carolinas. We believe that locals do it better. Contact The Office People, the source for all your office needs.
0: We the Women is a special series of the Post and Courier in celebration of the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. To enjoy all 19 interviews, visit postandcourier.com backslash we the women.